Welcome in, Hornets fans. I know that if you are anything like us, you are anxious, you're agitated, you're ready for tip-off of Game 5, Hornets at Heat in Miami, 8 o'clock p.m. on TNT. So we wanted to do our part to help you get through the day, and here we are, bonus podcast, bonus coverage of this game with an amazing guest. He's been on the show before, Lee Ellis from The Starters on NBA TV, NBA.com. They are on YouTube. You can check out their amazing podcast, The Drop, on iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcast from. Without further ado, let's get to Lee. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we know you're busy with playoff coverage, and, and I just want to check in with you. How are you doing? I know that you and your fellow co-host are big Raptors fans. How are you doing after that amazing finish between the Raptors and the Pacers last night? You know, just to see how they pulled that out, I, I still can't really believe it because the Pacers were doing so well, and Paul George had that game in control. And then the Raptors, uh, you know, just one of those playoff games that I think certainly Toronto fans will talk about for a long time because uh, it, it just had everything, had the miracle comeback. And then, of course, that crazy, crazy ending where Solomon Hill, not only the one that could have forced it to overtime, but the one prior to that where he actually uh, brought it within one point. I mean, you know, huge three-pointers and uh, a lot of drama, a lot of fun. And uh, at the end of it all, you know, the Raptors get the win and obviously the series lead. We've had a huge basketball crush on Solomon Hill on this show, so that that game did not do anything to alleviate that crush. Um, before we get into Hornets Heat Talk, I saw on your Twitter feed that you love the NBA's uh, newly instituted hustle statistics. We did an entire segment on them last night. What makes the release of these kinds of stats significant in your mind? You know, when you look at the box score and you can see if someone has 25 points and 15 rebounds, you can you can sort of tell from that that they obviously had a fairly good impact on the game. But now you can actually tell when a guy gets a lot of deflections and a guy is sort of boxing out and doing the right thing. And importantly as well is when someone like uh, Andrew Bogut or DeAndre Jordan sets a screen and Clay Thompson or whoever it is gets a three-pointer and knocks it in, that to me is a, is a more important assist on a field goal than sometimes the pass is because you really are helping to get that guy open to get a clean look off. And, you know, the way that statistics are recorded as well, there's always some subjectivity to them, particularly with things like steals, because we know sometimes it comes to the person who sort of gathers the steal rather than the person who deflects the ball in the first place. And also, again, you know, with assists, you look through the box score and you see a guy might have 12 or 13 assists. But if you actually go through the game log and watch every one, often you'll see that he might pass to another guy that guy takes two or three dribbles and then sort of has a pump fake and then lays it in. They still get credited with an assist. And I think that sometimes those stats are, uh, are somewhat misleading. But now that we have these stats, I mean, if you have to be a real geek like me to sort of enjoy them. You can actually see, you know, when you're watching a game, that guy had a really good impact on the game, even though it won't show up in the traditional box score because he might not, might have only had, you know, Andrew Bogut's a good example. He might have only had four rebounds and two points. But what he actually did to help create baskets for his team was a lot more impactful than you will really see. So I think it's great. Um, you know, again, these all have to be taken with a grain of salt because there's no sort of uh, absolute definition of every single rule and how it is interpreted. But really, if you are a basketball fan, I think you will enjoy seeing just how these things are recorded now. And this will also help some players who, uh, you know, their agents when they go into contract negotiations because their stats might not be traditionally as, as big as some other players, but they can show they can still have a big influence on the game at both ends of the floor. 
Yeah, anything that can help illustrate uh, MKG or Marvin Williams' impact on the floor, I think, is a good thing for for players and and NBA fans. Let, let's turn the attention to the Hornets Heat series. It's really it's turned into the polar opposite, I think, of what people expected based on how each team played in the regular season. It's turned into the antithesis of what you would call Lee very solid play. The ball isn't fizzing <laughs> around at all right now. What's going on in this series from your perspective? Uh, well, the Miami Heat couldn't miss in the first two games, and uh, that was pretty astonishing to see that they stayed that so hot over two games. Because in the playoffs, you can see a team getting hot at home. Uh, but it very rarely carries over so significantly into the second game as it did for the Heat. And then Charlotte really just sort of got back to business in Charlotte. And without Nicholas Batum, I thought was really impressive because Batum was their best player, certainly in the first game, when no one else really seemed to have too much going for the Hornets. Uh, but the Charlotte, we know, were a good home team this season. They, they I think, had the third best home record in the Eastern Conference. And so that was always going to be something that was going to test Miami out. But what is interesting is the Hornets really increased and improved their three-point shooting this season. So I felt going into the playoffs that was going to be key for them. But really, that didn't happen at all. Certainly in the first two games, no one could hit a three-point basket. And he did a good job sort of chasing guys off the line and forcing them inside to, to where Hassan Whiteside does his best work at protecting the rim. But that hasn't really worked either because guys have been going in now and attacking Hassan Whiteside. And I think what we're seeing with Whiteside is he's a good help defender. He's a good guy who can come over from the weak side and block shots. But if you actually attack him, he still gets a little bit clumsy with his hands and he gets a little bit frustrated and emotional. We saw him, you know, in game four, I think it was, when Al Jefferson kind of worked him around a little bit. He does get caught up in his own head a little bit and that can sometimes take him out of the game, which is important. And, and from what I saw, Steve Clifford seems to be like, listen, go with him. Go with him. Try to get him in foul trouble. Try to get him off his game. And if he's not on the floor, that certainly helps our game. And, uh, you know, Kemba Walker, that, that game four, I mean, you know, we're talking about the Raptors there. Kemba Walker, if you're, a, if you're a Hornets fan, I'm sure he causes you a few heart attacks because he has some amazing shots, but he also has some pretty wild shots that you you know, you know sort of wish he could find the balance between uh, getting the, those really big shots and also those wild ones and finding the middle ground to be a little bit more consistent because he's great fun to watch, but at times, I mean, you know, he can slither into the lane and he can go those little Tony Parker floaters and he can step back and hit a three-pointer. But other times you see him kind of with a step back over two defenders and you're like, oh, I don't know if that's the best shot he can take. But um, it, it, this is a really fascinating series. And, you know, I, I mentioned on the show last night about uh, the Raptors and the Pacers. I wasn't really sure who's in control of that series. And I feel a bit the same way here with the Hornets and the Heat. I think, you know, both teams have done very, very well protecting their home court. Now we go back to Miami and you feel that the Heat are probably going to win tonight just because they've played so well at home so far. But if, if, if Charlotte can get off to a good start, maybe get Al Jefferson going early and get Hassan Whiteside again frustrated, I think that really does help Charlotte and, and maybe favour them. And it'll be interesting to see if Spolstra still wants the Heat to run guys off the three-point line. Maybe he wants guys to settle and, and, and take some jump shots, some early jump shots for the Charlotte because it didn't really work in the first couple of games, especially for Marvin Williams. I think he went one for 17, uh, which really, really hurt the Hornets. So, uh, you know, there's, there's lots to digest and lots to sort of uh, pick out in this series. Uh, but, you know, it's a crucial game, I think, for Charlotte tonight. If they, can, if they can somehow steal this one, then I think it does set them up to maybe steal the series. But if they lose this one, obviously they have to win the next one at Charlotte. And then it's going to be very, very tough for a Game 7 victory on the road in Miami. You mentioned the Miami Heat, their their ability to take away the Charlotte Hornets' uh, three-point shooting prowess has been a big storyline in this series. And we've speculated on the show or theorized that it may not be so much about 
taking those three-pointers off the box score, but just making Charlotte feel uncomfortable and having that comfort level trickle down into the defense as well. As a scholar of playoff basketball, Lee, is this a common theme that you know teams just try to get in there and make the opponent play an uncomfortable game, even if it means playing a slightly different style than they played in the regular season? Yeah, well, that's the thing with a playoff series is you can really plan, certainly for the first four games, and you can have a strategy and a tactic, and I think Eric Spolster was seeing from him. He's really calling on all that experience of when the Heat went to the finals with LeBron James to just make and show the Hornets what experience does for you. And in those first couple of games, I mean, Joe Johnson and Dwayne Wade, just hitting those shots early on, hitting good, comfortable shots, you know, offense puts pressure on the opponent's offense because you know that if you're missing shots, and the other team is going down and seemingly scoring every time, it just makes it so much more difficult for you to get into any flow because you're not thinking about your offense so much. You're thinking more, I need to get a basket so we sort of keep pace with these guys. And that's what I think we're seeing. You know, the Hornets last year obviously didn't make the playoffs, but a couple of years before that, we saw them in there, and that experience didn't really uh, carry over to this year. And and so I think a lot of these Hornets guys are going in as a group uh, you know, with, with not that much experience. I know guys like Batum and Marvin Williams obviously have been there before, but not with this current group. So, um, you know, the, the playoffs are fascinating because you, you can have a storyline work throughout a playoff series that might not have made much sense during the regular season in a one-off game or, or even over the course of the four regular season meetings or have, however many they were. But during a playoff series, you can kind of work on a guy and you can kind of trap a guy. I mean, look at Luol Deng, for example. He's shooting incredibly well from three-point range in this series, and no one really would have expected that, certainly not the three-point range during the regular season. I mean, but he's, he's another guy, an experienced player with the Chicago Bulls, and, and I think Dwayne Wade and Joe Johnson especially are realizing, and Dragic as well, when you've got a guy like that, show him that he's probably your third or fourth option, but if he's hot, we're just going to keep on feeding him. And, and, and Deng's another pretty solid defender as well, so... Um, you know, I, I think for Charlotte, this is a very good learning experience. And I, you've just got to hope that they can somehow pull one out on the road because I, I just don't see them winning game seven on the road. But a game six back in Charlotte where they've been very good this year and that crowd is going crazy, that to me is their best chance to, to advance to the second round. Because I, I just think, uh, again, experience in, in game seven of Dwayne Wade and Joe Johnson in game seven might be just a little too much for the Hornets. Unfortunately for NBA fans, and I'm sure the the starters as well, uh, injuries to major players is now at the at the forefront of the NBA playoffs with injuries to Steph Curry and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, Griffin and on and on. And the Hornets dealing with an injury of their own in Nick Batum. We're not sure yet if he'll be able to go in Game Five or or when he'll be able to go. But when he is able to return, Lee. Do you think that the Hornets should reinsert him immediately into the starting lineup or continue the momentum that they have uh, with the group that they played in Game 3 and Game 4 and try to find some way to bring him off the bench, at least initially, as he recovers? Yeah, I, I favor that strategy, actually, because you know a lot of playoffs is about momentum and just riding with guys that are having success. And again, referring back to that Raptors game last night, if you look at that lineup that actually made the charge for Toronto, you know, it wasn't really DeRozan and Lowry who were leading the way. It was a lot of bench players, and Biombo was fantastic, and you know Corey Joseph and Norman Powell were doing well. And I think sometimes that's what coaches do. They just get, they get a, a group that's working and just run with that and see how far they can go with it. And sometimes that chemistry, it might only work for a game or two or even a series, 
that's all you need to get through a series. And I think with Batum coming off the bench, it does give them a little bit more of a boost offensively if he's 100% healthy, and he probably won't be. But even if he's maybe 90%, he's one of those guys, a good, smart facilitator, but can also knock down the shots as we saw in game one. So, you know, Clifford, a lot of coaches do sort of have those little moments where they're like, you know what, I just feel this group is working. Let's just go with it and see what happens, rather than maybe upset the chemistry that they had. You know, it was to, to have wins in game three and four, and maybe reinterpret them. But, but of course, you know, coaches, uh, they all have their own different strategies. And I think, you know, what Steve Clifford said was uh, really important after game two, you know, when, when people sort of saying, well, you know, what adjustments are you going to have to make? And he said, look, you know, they're hitting shots. They're making a lot of shots. They're taking shots we want them to take, but they're just knocking them all in. And sometimes that is as simple as the game can be. And we we often overanalyze things. They say, well, this guy did this and this guy did that. But, but you know, Greg Popovich talked about it as well. Sometimes guys just get hot and hit shots, and sometimes they just miss, and that can be the result of the game right there. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how how Batum does sort of reinsert himself into that team if he is healthy, because he's a very important player, a very good player, but they've had success without him. So, do you rock that boat, or, or do you sort of just uh, go with your your most talented players? And you know, whatever Steve Clifford decides, it's going to be a it, it's a good it's a good problem to have, as coaches sometimes say, when you have too many options and. Uh, I just hope I just hope he gets back and he can be healthy and give the Hornets their best chance. Sometimes a series is a a make or miss series, at, but Jeremy Lin, Lin has turned this into a make, miss, or get fouled series, and and he's drawn a lot of attention for not drawing particular fouls. Had YouTube videos made about that subject, and the NBA was. Uh, I guess, forced to make a statement about that. But he's gotten his fair share this series. Do you think that that attention has contributed to those calls? Or or is it just a, a, an issue of him being aggressive and effective at getting to the line? Yeah, it, it's a tough one. I mean, you like to think that referees wouldn't have watched that video and then decided, oh, yeah, maybe they're right. We've got to start calling you for, for fouls and things like that. Uh, but the fact that the NBA did bring it to attention, I, I'm sure the referees noticed that. So um, it, it's there's probably a little bit of both in there somewhere. I think, you know, Jeremy Lin's one of those guys. Uh, once he gets in the open court, he's pretty good, actually, attacking the rim and getting to the basket and getting foul calls. And, you know, he's an important player for the Hornets coming off the bench. You know, we saw him in, in game four. He was, he was great at 21 points. And it's important for him to, to sort of bring that energy and bring that emotion and, and to be aggressive. And, and that's, you know, I mean, it's a cliche, but you hear coaches all the time. The more aggressive you are, the more likely you are to get foul calls because referees will uh, reward you for going in there and drawing contact. And, you know, again, not to sort of harp on the Raptors' paces last night, but DeMar DeRozan getting inside, actually drawing contact last night, getting to the free throw line, and the Raptors win the game. He had zero free throws in two games of this series and really has cost the Raptors a lot because that's not how he plays during the regular season. So I think for Jeremy Lin... It's okay if you get blocked. I think coaches accept if you get blocked, if you're being aggressive and you're playing in the right way and you're doing the right things, because eventually you're going to get a lot of those foul calls. And and again, foul calls, um, they help you so much because if it is a guy like Whiteside and he gets in early foul trouble, then it disrupts the opposition's momentum, in this case, the Miami Heat, and it disrupts their flow of the game as well. So there's so many positives about going inside and trying to draw fouls. Even if you do get blocked a couple of times, that's okay. Just keep going in and keep attacking. And uh, I think that's important for Lynn and it's important for the Hornets. And uh, because you know Lynn's one of those guys we've seen a lot this year. When he when he plays well and scores a lot of points, the Hornets tend to play better and, and often win. And it certainly feels that way anyway. And when he has some of those games where he's not as aggressive and not scoring as much, you, you don't have that same punch uh, that you see from him most of the time. So. 
Uh, he's been a pretty fun guy to watch this season, and uh, it's good to see him having some fun and having some success in Charlotte. Well, Lee, I want to thank you for joining us again, and I also want to thank you for giving us uh, the little the little kick in the, the rear that we needed to do a daily uh, mini-podcast. We started the Hive O'Clock Alarm shortly after our first interview because we, we thought about it and thought about what you said about podcasting. We're like, yeah, we, we do need to be on a little bit every day. So thank you for that little bit of, of inspiration. Oh, no, well, uh, you know, keep it up, guys, because, you know, especially now when, you, when you're in the playoffs, fans want to hear everything. They always want to wake up in the morning and hear something fresh. So uh, keep it up, and, you know, that, that, that's the way you grow. That's the way you build, and that's the way you build a reputation and an audience. So best of luck to you. Thank you, and watch uh, watch Lee on the starters on NBA TV, NBA.com. They're also on YouTube, and subscribe to the Drop Podcast. Good luck uh, the rest of the way, Lee. Thank you.